Well, is it still? Yeah, we got 15 minutes, so good morning. Still? I got a little nervous about my water here because Derek was kind of getting close to it. And Seth told me if I got water on his special stuff up here, he was going to kill me. So <laughs> would have been bad. If you know Seth, he's much bigger than me, so he could take me down pretty easily. Well, um, it is great to be with you guys this morning. My name is Dan. I'm one of the leaders here at Ocean City. And um, we have been in a series um, in Romans that we started back in June. So for a few months now, uh, and for many weeks, we've been walking through Romans. And this week, we're going to be in Romans chapter 14. And so we come to the last few chapters of the book here. Um, and as we do, I thought it'd be a good idea to just kind of quickly do a recap of where we've been in Romans up until this point. So essentially, Romans 1 through 11 are about the gospel. That there, there's, a, there's a lot of rich theology and a lot of um, kind of understanding about the gospel, who we are and who God is that comes out of um, the first 11 chapters of Romans. We all know the Romans road, right? Who's walked down the Romans road? Who's walked someone down the Romans road? So we know Romans 3.23 is in there, right? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We know, then we go to Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And then we take him to Romans 10.9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And Paul talks about being reconciled to God because of what Christ has done. And God is working all things together for the good of those who love him. And then we get to chapter 12 and we see sort of a shift in Paul's writing. He starts out by saying, I appeal to you, brothers, that in view by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so if, if 1 through 11 are about the gospel, then what we see happen in 12 through 16 is really how that gospel then gets applied. Or maybe a better way to say it is what our lives should look like once the gospel has taken root in our lives and in our community, in our churches. And so last week, um, Derek walked us through um, Romans chapter 13. If you didn't hear that, I would recommend um, you go back and listen to it. But Paul talks about how the gospel informs our relationship to authority, to governing authority. And then this week in chapter 14, we're going to look at how the gospel informs the way that we treat each other, specifically around differing opinions and preferences. And if there's something that I know none of us have here in the room today, it's opinions or preferences, right? <laughs> Nobody brought them here today. No, we all have opinions and preferences. Look, we are a church, Derek said it, we're a church that exists to invite anyone and everyone, or everyone, anyone and everyone into the unending ocean of grace. Anyone has opinions and everyone has opinions. They all come with opinions. So, um, so let's jump into scripture. We're going to read a lot of scripture today, but it's really kind of going to be like an, a Bible study where we're going to walk through verses and then talk about them because I think there's just uh, chapter 14 and then the first seven verses of chapter 15 are really rich and I would hate to not include some of it. So chapter 14, starting out in verse one, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but do not quarrel over opinions. 
So the key word here is opinion, opinions. Do not quarrel over opinions. Your translation, if you have NIV, might say disputable matters. So what he's saying here is that there are things that we'll, we will disagree about in the church, but these should not lead to division. What, what he's not saying is that there isn't, is that there's never anything that should lead to division. That there's not, that there are things that actually we should divide over. In Paul's letters, he identifies things that should separate us. In Galatians, he says, if anybody teaches a gospel different than this one, you should label them a false teacher and boot them from your church. First Corinthians says, if someone is practicing open immorality, they should be removed from fellowship. But here's the deal. Not everything rises to that level. So Paul's going to address a specific dispute that arose in the Roman church at that time. Um, actually, two different disputes uh, that he's going to talk about that were happening in the Roman church that he addresses. So verse 2, one person believes he may eat anything, that's me, while the weak person eats only vegetables. So this is not a knock against vegans, as I know we have vegans among us. And so if meat people have come to you and they've used this verse against you as a vegan, they're not using this verse in proper context. So, um, and now I could argue, you could argue that, that you, you weak if you eat vegetables because you don't have protein, but that's a whole nother conversation. So, but what you have here is you have a growing church in Rome with many different kinds of people from different um, religious traditions and backgrounds. Some people of a Jewish tradition um, still held to the belief and it started, God issued these things in Leviticus that certain kinds of food were unclean. And then you move forward to Roman culture and you have um, a culture where meat was sacrificed to idols. So we slap that T-bone and we put it in front of you know, this idol. And the thing is the idols never had much of an appetite. They never consumed the meat. And so what people would do is they would take the meat, they would take it to the market and they would sell it. And so you have the church people showing up saying, hey, you don't know whether that ribeye over there has been sacrificed to an idol or not, or not and therefore it's unclean and shouldn't, potentially unclean and shouldn't be eaten. What's interesting here is that the weak person, the person that eats only vegetables, is the one with all the meat rules. It's the person with the rules. The weak person is the one with the rules. So be thinking about that as we talk about this today. Verse three, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? But this is not what we do. Right? I mean, this is what we do. Is this not what we do? It is what we do. We got, you got team meat over here and you got team veggies over here and all they're doing is talking about each other. And team, team, team meat's firing the, the flaming arrows over at team veggie and team veggie's uh, shooting the, firing, uh, the flaming arrows back. And, and this, is what, this is what happens in, in our world, especially in the church world. Um, a few years ago, Ann and I were um, discussing and praying about um, sending one of our kids to a different school. So we started having some conversations with different people. And, you know, we talked to the homeschool group. We talked to the public school group. And we talked to the private school group. And if there's 
people that don't have opinions about how their children should be edu educated, we don't have that in this, in this community, do we? No? Yeah, I didn't think so. I mean, nobody really had a strong opinion about, no. Some of the people we talked to, not all the people, so I don't want to put labels on here, but, you know, it was, you're really going to send your kid to, private, to public school where there's, there's demons just running amok and they're going to do drugs and... You know, and then, and then you talk to the public school people and they're like, well, we're on mission for God in the public school. And so we believe that our kids are on the mission field every day. Oh, and by the way, they're learning things about math and science and all these crazy subjects. And then you have the private school people that say, well, at least our kids are getting a real education and are going to go to a real school after they graduate. So, you know, everybody really has these strong, inflamed opinions about it. And so, um, but we do this with a lot of other things too, don't we? We think about even, you know, I was even thinking about for me, I, I'm, I oftentimes am intolerant of intolerant people. You know, that, that and, and here's the thing, if you're judgmental or you're intolerant, if you're judgmental of judgmental people, then that makes you judgmental. And I have a problem with people that are judgmental. So what does that make me? Oh, congratulations, you just joined the judgmental club. So what I have to understand, what you and I have to understand is that at the root of my judgmental spirit, that thing inside of me that, that, that wants to look down on somebody else, that, that the root of that is pride, it's self-righteousness, it's believing that I have to hold on to a righteousness that ultimately Christ died for, um, and, but yet I still run to these things. So we'll, we'll talk about this more in a couple of verses um, but now let's go to um, verse 5, where, where Paul gives us a different example of what was happening in that time. So one person esteems one day is better than another, while another esteems all days are alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. So again, we have a dispute here. From, from differing cultures that are coming together, where if you were a Jew, then traditionally you worshiped on the Sabbath, which the Sabbath was Friday at sundown to Saturday at sundown. At sundown. And then you have, uh, you know, the, the church coming along post-Jesus and his ascension or his death, burial, and resurrection. And now the church says, no, we worship on the Lord's day, which is Sunday. That was the day that he rose from the dead. And, and you also have these festivals and holidays and all kinds of things that now there's disputes over. So, you know, one group says, no, we're Thanksgiving people. And another group says, no, we're Christmas people. And then another group, actually those things hadn't even, ha Thanksgiving hadn't happened yet. And another group's like, hey, 4th of July is the best holiday. So that's what we should celebrate in Rome well before American independence. So, um, so but I, I love Paul's response here. He doesn't prescribe uniformity, saying that, okay, no, we, oh, we have to adhere. This is the day that we adhere to, and this is the way that we're going to do it or the way that it should be done in the church. But what he does prescribe is unity. So he says, it's not uniformity that we all have to be alike and we have to do things the same, but he says unity and that each one should be convinced in his own mind, in his own mind. So here, let's move on. Um, verse six, the one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. 
if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. And what he's saying here is that both can be right if they, if they come from the right place. And that it isn't about what you, what you eat or what day you go to church, but it's about the heart. It's about the heart. And it was the thing that Jesus spoke about when, when, he, when he talked with people. They would ask him, hey, what do, what do I need to do on the surface or in my behavior? Or what do I need to accomplish in order to have favor with you or to be in your kingdom? And he always went to the heart. He always went to the heart. And God, um, in the Old Testament, did the same thing. He said, you bring me offerings, but your heart is far from me. I want your heart. And it's the same thing. It's the same challenge that we have today, right? We clean up the outside, but we fail to address the heart. And so what Paul's saying here is that the why, why we do things matters more than the what. This is always what God is much more concerned about. It's the why, why you do what you do, not what you do. So if you think about it, why you give, you know, we just had a giving time where, you know, Derek talked about you know, kind of framed that time around what, what does it look like to give? One of the things we're really big about here is, hey, the why you give is more important than what you give. Because two people can come with the same offering and one could do it from a, a, a spirit of believing that what they give is out of, of an abundance of what God is, it's all God's. And out of an abundance of what God has given to them, they come cheerfully, they, they, you know, it's not just like about, okay, the, the 10%, but it's just about, hey, God, I want to give you everything is yours. Cattle on a thousand hills, and you, you gave me everything that I have, and so I just in worship want to give that back to you. And then there's the person that brings maybe the same offering, but does it in a way that really is more about getting into God's pockets than it is about releasing money from their own pocket. It's, it's wanting something from God. It's believing that, you know, somehow you're paying a penance and, and that you're going to be right with God because of a dollar amount that you give to the church. Same gift. It's not the what, it's the why. So God doesn't want us to be united to him, but divided over issues that, let's face it, these are secondary issues. It's why we, we summed up the first part of Romans in saying the salvation issue is taken care of, that that we have established that this is who God is and this is who you are and this is what salvation is. And now we're talking about how that becomes applied. So what we're talking about here, these are secondary issues. They're not primary to the faith. And what's interesting is Jesus in, in John chapter 17, the high priestly prayer, he prays for you and I. And the thing that he prays, um, the thing that he prays in that prayer is that we would be one that we would be one just as he and the Father are one, that we would be perfectly one so that the world will know that we are Christians by our, what? Right, by our love. Who sang that song in church growing up? That's an oldie. I won't even say a giddy, it's just an oldie. Um, but they will know that we are Christians by our love and, and church I mean, it doesn't take long to look around to say, hey, are we missing an opportunity here? Because Christians, the church is not known for our love right about now. And so 
Let's move on. Verse 10. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. And then he goes on to quote Isaiah. He says, for, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Why do we judge other people? Why do we judge other people? And I know I'm not talking to you, right? I'm talking to the person sitting next to you because they're so judgmental. But I have to ask myself, why do I judge people? And again, sometimes I'm just short in judging people because I think they're so judgmental. We judge people who are judgmental. But really, at the heart of that, the root of that is pride. It's believing in my own self-righteousness. It's insecurity. I'm not secure in what, what God thinks of me. Here's a big one for me, jealousy. I know we have nobody else in the room that ever has experienced jealousy, but you know, here's the thing. Why do I have such a hard time celebrating good things that are happening in the lives of other people? Because the first thing that I think in my mind is, why didn't I get that? Why, why can't I be friends with that person? Why can't I be in that group? Why can't I have that thing? Um, and, we, and, and so we may not, it may be subtle, you know, we may not really in our minds go, wow, I'm really jealous about that. But we know that something is going on in our heart that is, it becomes angry um, oftentimes with why can't God give me that and why does that always happen for that other person? It's different than, you know, I think sometimes we think about accountability. I just want to hold people accountable. I'm going to hold them accountable because that's what God's called me to do, to be their conscience. Well, accountability is different than being judgmental. And, and I don't have to really go into too much depth for you to know that you know what the difference is, right? When we, um, when we hold someone accountable, and that we should do that. We want to do that as a church. We want to, in humility and love, go to people and say, hey, look, I, this road that you're potentially heading down, this could be destructive to your life. This could destroy your relationship with God, destroy your relationship with your family. And so, um, but, but that's from a different posture than a, a judgmental spirit, which says, God, your judgments are not enough. If you don't mind, I'm just going to step in and, and play God on this one. Make sure that they understand uh, wh where you're coming from, God. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hop on your throne. You hop off and let me hop on. That's what being judgmental is. So moving on, verse 13, Therefore let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Oh, boy. Here comes the stumbling block. Don't you be a stumbling block. I, you know, Derek uses his redneck accent. Mine's not as good, but you know what I'm talking about, the stumbling block, right? So, yeah, thank you. Stumbling block is the idea that, that I would exercise my, thor uh, my, my freedom that God has given me in a way that would cause another person to fail. So... A stumbling block, and I, for whatever reason, I, we always think about drinking. Oh, don't be a stumbling block, therefore don't ever drink. So, but, you know, it, it, that's not what scripture says. But it says, hey, you may want to be mindful of the company that you're in when you do drink. So it's not prohibiting saying, oh, well, every time you cock a beer, somebody in the room, that's, you're, you're being a stumbling block. 
Well, but you wouldn't go crack a beer at the AA meeting. I mean, it's probably not a good idea. So just being mindful of the company that you keep. And really where Paul is trying to go here is he doesn't just leave us with this idea of let us not pass judgment and then kind of move on to the next conversation. He says, let us not, not pass judgment. And you know what? It's probably a good idea for you to examine your own life because we tend to be more concerned with the speck in our brother's eye than the log, the plank that's in our eye. So he's saying, you may wanna examine your own life instead of worrying about everybody else. And so uh, verse 14 goes on, he says, I know that I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus, nothing is unclean in itself. 14 verses in, he finally answers the question. So I know I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness. Christ's righteousness, but of righteousness and peace and joy. And here's a key phrase in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbringing. I mean, really, if we just read 14 through 18, we just close the Bible. And I mean, that is so clear. Paul finally gives us an explanation to the original question of what's unclean and what's Uh, and what's clean, and you can see it. He says, nothing is unclean. And so what happens? Team Meat stands up and says, yeah, Team Meat, nothing is unclean. But it's unclean for anyone that thinks it's unclean. And then Team Veggie stands up and says, yeah. And then he says, it's not even about eating and drinking. And yet this is the thing that's consuming everybody's energy is fighting over what's clean and unclean. He said it's not about eating and drinking. What Paul is saying here is that something bigger, much bigger than eating and drinking is in play. And it's the way that we treat each other. Verse 20, he says, do not for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine, or let's just throw everything in there, or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. People tend to focus on that verse, the faith that you have, keep between yourself and God, saying, oh, this is a personal relationship with Christ. This whole context is about living in a community of believers. What he means there is you don't have to post everything on Facebook. That's what he's saying. There are elements of your faith that don't, are not, it's not about walking out in front of people. It's about a private thing that's happening in your heart with God, that it doesn't all have to be put on display. But here's the question. Is life all about me and my preferences? Or am I willing to lay some things aside so that I can be at peace with my brother? Is life all about me and my preferences, or am I willing to lay some things aside in order to be at peace with my brother? And if you hadn't noticed, things are getting harder. That 
I mean, it's, it's, it's almost laughable to say that there's never been a time that we've been more divided in this country or quite frankly in the church over matters of politics, over secondary matters, things that really in the grand scheme of things don't matter. As much as you think they may matter, they're just opinions. Um, and if we're looking to the example, for an example, to the people that are leading in these efforts, then, you know, this week we saw that we're probably looking to the wrong place if that's the case. I mean, we don't have good examples of any of that. But listen, just to get very practically for a second, there is, there's real division in our church right now over something as simple as wearing masks. You wouldn't believe the conversations that are happening in the background between different groups week in and week out and this division over mask wearing. And look, I thought long and hard about this. I've prayed about this week. I'm not here to change anybody's stance on the issue. I mean, most of you are kind of dug into where you are if you feel strongly about, about it. But what I will do is I'll refer you to Derek's sermon from last week because I thought, I, I think that it, 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 it helps to um, give some perspective on how we view, how we should view as believers because of the gospel, how we view government authority when is the right time to submit to that government authority and when is the right time to defy that government authority? But what I would submit to you, and this is for people on both sides, because I know we got people dug their heels in on the mask side and we know we got people dug their heels in on the not wearing mask side. But the, the bigger question, the thing we have to think, because it really doesn't, it's, it's not, and it, as much as you think the, the issue matters, the bigger issue is, are we gonna let this issue divide our church because people are packing up and going home because they don't like the way that OCC is doing this. And this isn't the first issue that people have packed up their toys and gone home on. I mean, I've, you know, in the 10 years that we've, we've been in existence as a church, I've seen it more times than, than I would care to admit to that, that people would say, Hey, I don't, Derek said something that offended me or I didn't like this. I don't like the way OCC does this, you know, it, it, whatever happens here, you don't get what you want. And look, I mean, I've been a leader at this church from the beginning. We, if there's one thing we believe in, I mean, we look at our values. We, we believe that Jesus is everything. We believe in a fidelity to the scriptures, but, but we're human beings. We don't get it right every time. So you just got to remember in the context of all this, we're human beings dealing with human beings in a fallen world. And if you do that, then you, you bring much more grace to every situation. I saw my mom's here today. One thing she reminded me of that she heard sometime somewhere along the way was that everybody is doing the best they can with what they have when you think about it. And so look, people may not be as enlightened on the subject of mask wearing as you are or not mask wearing as you are, but I plead with you. I plead with you. Please do not let this be an issue that divides our church. And I'm happy to see people here today that feel that they can, you know, come and sit and take their mask off if they're not around other people. That's fine. We want you to feel just as comfortable here as someone that does wear a mask. So again, that's my kind of my soapbox I've jumped on, but, um, but it's, it really, it relates to what Paul is talking about here. And so in all of that, yet the gospel compels us to be united to one another. That's what the gospel compels us to do, to lay aside our opinions for the sake of unity. And that's all they are, really. 
That's all they are, are opinions. As biblically informed as you think that that strong feeling you have about X, Y, Z, things that God hasn't necessarily been clear about in scripture, it's still just an opinion. And so does this mean that we have to live in the prison of other people's opinions? Paul's also clear about this. He talks to the church in Galatia. In Galatians 1.10, he says, um, he says, I do not live to please men, but to please God. And, and here's the thing. You know the difference. You know when a motive is selfish and self-serving versus selfless and giving. Okay, finishing up. Um, we move on from chapter 14 into 15. I'm just going to read the first seven voices, and then we're going to land this thing for the day. Um, why lay aside our opinions for the sake of unity? Why lay aside our opinions for the sake of unity? And I love how, how Paul really leads us here as he kind of finishes up this topic in chapter 15. He says, 15 verse 1, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ. For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of scriptures, I love this, we might have hope. Good Lord, we need some hope today, don't we? May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. It's so powerful. It's so clear that you see Jesus who had every right to exert his rights as the creator of the universe, as, as God, that he didn't cling to those rights, that he didn't feel like he needed to exert his rights. But what did he do? He laid down his rights and he laid down his life so that you and I can become the righteousness of God. That Jesus didn't say, no, this is, this is the way it's going to be because I have every right. Because, well, don't we love that in America? I got a right. Here's my rights. Stepping on my rights. Well, Jesus laid down his rights, laid down his life so that you and I can become the righteousness of God. He really spells this out in Philippians 2, 4 through 8. He says, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also the interest of others. I love it. It's a theme in Paul's letters that he's, he's saying to the church, like, hey, it's not about you. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But what did he do? He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He emptied himself for you, and yet we become so full of ourselves that we, don't, we won't even lay down the, these things that we think are so important when they're really not. 
they're not worth losing fellowship and relationship with your church, with your brothers and sisters because of that thing. So here's the cool thing that Paul talks about here. When we operate in an understanding of what Christ has done for us, look, we're a church. We say all the time, we exist to invite anyone and everyone into the unending ocean of grace. And with anyone and everyone is baggage. It's stuff. It's, it's perspectives. It's different socioeconomic backgrounds. It's different church backgrounds. For some people, it's no church background. But here's the thing. We, we need anyone and everyone. We don't need uniformity. We don't need everybody to look alike. Like, we don't need everybody to just be a surfer dude here at Ocean City Church. We need you. We need you. We need the anyone and everyone with your opinions. But sometimes the bigger thing to do and the gospel thing to do is to lay those opinions aside, lay those things down because of what Christ has done. And, and what's cool is Paul says that what happens is that together you may with one voice glorify God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that it gives a picture of who God is when we come together as the church and we're unified. And what would it say to a world that desperately needs that message today? What would it say to a world that's looking in on Christians and saying, they just look like everybody else because they can't even seem to get along about very basic things? So church, I'm just, I'm asking, I'm pleading with you today. Ask yourself, examine your heart. Is this thing, is it worth laying down so that I can have a relationship with people around me? because of what Jesus has done. And that's the freedom, that's the invitation this morning, is that Jesus has accomplished it all. Jesus has, it's not about your own righteousness. Jesus, on our behalf, we might become the righteousness of God. He deposits that righteousness into our bank account because we're depleted. There's hope for us this morning. Let's stand. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to sing with one voice, one voice this morning. I love we're singing, I don't want to give it all away, but we're singing good grace. First words of the song, people come together. I want it to sing in unity this morning over us. And so we pray, Father, I just thank you that with, um, that we can come before you and be unified because of what Christ has done. I thank you that we serve a savior that came not to exert his rights and to be right and to, to, to display in a worldly way his godly rights, but God, that Jesus came to lay down his, his rights, lay down his life so that we can become the righteousness of God. Would we be, a, would we be an army this little church, Ocean City Church, be an army, a unified army that brings glory to the God of hope, to the God of grace. God, I just thank you that we can live in that this morning. We can breathe in that, that we can be relieved, God. So much has brought tension to our lives in these days because of everything happening around us. But I, I just thank you that you sit on the throne over all of it today. That your grace is being poured out as we make an effort to live in harmony, to live in unity with one another. God, would we be people that 
believe that. I believe that you came and you accomplished that. Would that, would people on the outside of this church be able to see that? God, we just thank you. We sing together as one voice this morning.